All right, Rockbridge, hey, we're glad that you're here. Thank you so much for joining us on a great weekend for us to be together. So whether you're in one of our six physical locations or you're with us digitally online on some kind of device, my name is Matt, and I just want to personally welcome you tell you you're here, you're listening, you're tuning in for a reason, and we're praying that, that God just reveals himself to you in a very special way. Hey, a couple of things just real quick before we get rolling calendar-wise. Remember that our Monday meetups continue. We're doing this kind of indefinitely, all of these six locations physically. You need prayer. You just want to talk. You want to talk about the Braves. You want to talk about it. doesn't matter. we got to have a pastor or staff or elders there at these locations standing by. I've been able to go to two or three places all over our area. It's been great just to talk, meet some people who moved to the area for the first time, and uh, it's just been awesome. So Monday meetups continue, and then also we have First Wednesday coming up, First Wednesday in November, as we say, most important service of the month. We take the Lord's Supper together. We're together in worship and in prayer with one another. But you're here, you're engaged, you're tuned in for a great time because we're kicking off a new series called Unfold follow, <clears throat> unfollow. And I think when we, when we just sort of kind of ponder life, a lot of life is built around who or what we follow, whether it's following someone on social media, following a certain sports team, following a certain personality, politician. A lot of us follow products, like when's the new Apple product coming out? I mean, we follow things. Things are branded, right, in our culture, and our advertising world to get us to follow them. We, we'll, we'll pursue and follow a career path. We'll follow an educational path. So a lot of times, I, some of the most important decisions that we make are who or what that we choose to follow. And, and so that's the series concept is that, hey, we follow a lot of things, but as I started thinking about some things, and I'll show you some five truths about following in just a second, sometimes we have to make a tough decision, which is to unfollow. And some of you, you know, you know what you're talking about if you're big on social media, or you had to break up with someone, or you realize that, hey, if I'm going to continue following the God of the Bible, I'm going to have to stop following something. And so that's the tension that we're going to live in for the next couple of weeks. And I'm going to set a lot of that up today, and you kind of got to come back, watch, tune in again next week to really get some meat and application. But today's a lot of understanding. So let me just introduce and talk about following for just a second. I, I think we're all hardwired to follow. I think when you look and you study and you just look at common things about being a human being, we have this interest in, we get engaged in, we pursue things, we chase things, we seek things, we follow people, we follow. We're just hardwired to follow. So that means something about following has been put into us by our creator God. Second thing, who or what we follow will influence us. What parent hasn't said, I hope my kid doesn't get in with the wrong crowd? Who or what you follow on social media, who, you, who or what you follow can determine and you know, set your mood, right? Some of us follow sports teams. You ever been in a bad mood after your team lost, right? Who or what we follow has great power, great influence over us. But once we decide to follow, it's often hard to unfollow. And part of the, the genesis of this series is to give us some discernment, some handlebars on how do we decide what to follow, what not to follow. Number four, Jesus actually calls us to follow. 
In fact, it's his frequent invitation. You know, we, we say it's believe in Jesus. Jesus would say it's believe in me, but it's also follow me. Listen to this incredible invitation of Jesus. One of my favorites in all of the Bible is this tax collector named Matthew. Tax collector means he's a robber. He's a thief. He's corrupt. He's crooked. He's a Jew who's in collusion with the Roman government. And he says, follow me and be my disciple. Hey, follow me and, and learn how to do life a new way. Learn how to do life from me. And Jesus said to him, Jesus said this to him. So Matthew got up made that decision. I'm going to follow Jesus, but to follow Jesus, I'm going to have to unfollow my income. I'm going to have to unfollow my career path, my career trajectory, but I want to follow Jesus. says a lot about Jesus. It also shows us that there is a conflict, that there is a conflict about following and unfollowing. Because at some point, when you really get interested in someone or something, you have to get less interested in or less engaged with something else. So for Matthew, it was sitting there at the tax collector booth, and he was a rich guy, again, by collusion, by, by robbery, but he had to choose to give that up. And, and so what we're going to go through now in this series is recognizing that who we follow, how we follow, what we unfollow, one of the most strategic decisions that you and I can make. And here's the challenge that you and I face. There are more options than ever, right, about what gets your attention, what gets your following energy. And, and we can get distracted, we can get deceived, and we're going to boil that all down today. And we're just going to give us one little handlebar one tool, one way of understanding our entire existence that should frame up everybody's decision about who to follow and who to unfollow. Now, now here's what's going to happen, or at least what we're praying happens. As we present this and share this today, some of us are going to be faced with some choices that will only be known between you, by you and the Holy Spirit. And you'll have a choice as you walk out or turn your computer off that you'll know you're going to need to unfollow. And I pray that we all hear the voice of God so clearly as he speaks to us this weekend. So we're not the first people that have struggled with the follow-unfollow tension and the follow-unfollow dynamic. In fact, a, a group of churches in what was known as Galatia faced this same tension. And so we're going to look at this dynamic in Galatians chapter 1. You're welcome to follow along with me. You can also open your Bible up or turn your Bible on. And, and Paul is writing this group of churches that he helped found, that he helped create, uh, and that he had authority over and leadership over. And we're going to see this dynamic at work. So I'm going to jump ahead to verse 6, and then we'll come back and, and look at something else in the first few verses. So here's what Paul says. He says, I am amazed. So something is just like shocked Paul. He's like, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to, some translations actually say, and are following a, a different gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news. So you're turning to a different sort of good news. So we can identify, right? There's all, there's, we're all interested in following something good. We're all interested in following things or people that bring good into our lives. And so this group of churches in Galatia are turning from the grace of Christ, turning from the gospel of Jesus, and turning to a different gospel. And then Paul says, but it's not that there is another gospel. 
There's really only one gospel, only really one good news that ties everything else together. But there are some who are troubling you, and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. They want to make it less appealing or less meaningful or less truthful. <clears throat> and then Paul says, but even if we, so even if him as the preacher, and look, or an angel from heaven, and this is important. So even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel, a good news, contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse beyond him. And that's biblical language, and this is kind of what it means in the Greek, may they go to hell. It's that, it's that, it's that weighty, it's that significant, that this distortion of the gospel. And Paul's so amazed that something else has grabbed them, that they're pursuing or they're following something else. It's like, and, and, and how many of us would say, hey, oh man, if I had an angel appear on me, that'd be great. And Paul says, if it's preaching a different gospel, a curse be on that angel. Man, man, this, that, that preacher, that speaker was so motivational, so inspirational. If it's a different gospel, a curse be on him. Man, I love listening to that guy. I love listening to that guy on YouTube. Man, what he says just resonates with me. What he says makes me fired up. What he says makes me feel good. If it's a different gospel, a curse be on him. That's the profound weight of what Paul's talking about. And then he closes this thought and he says, As I, we have said before, I'll say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you receive, a curse be on him. That's weighty stuff. There's three things in this, that's the three shockers where Paul just kind of shocks us <coughs> with his response and his reaction to what's going on in the church in Galatia. The first one is that people, or actually a whole region, a whole group of churches, were unfollowing the gospel of Christ. And, and Paul can't fathom that. He can't understand. And this is literally 25, 30 years-ish post-resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so, so it doesn't take long for something else to grab us, to captivate us, to deceive us. Something that comes along doesn't take long for us. Oh, that looks good. We're all interested in something what new and fresh and seemingly exciting. And we've got this filter, don't we, right? Man, if it's new, if it's fresh, if it's exciting, if it sounds good, if it feels good, if it strokes the fur in the right direction, I should follow. And so Paul's just like amazed at that. Second shocker, Paul says there's only one gospel. Now think about that for just a second. That, that, that comes across, right, very exclusive. We don't like that word in, in our age of tolerance and our age of well, you do you, and if it floats your boat, you go. If it makes you happy, you go. We don't like that. But he says, hey, there's not another gospel. There's only one. So what was preached to you, this, it's about, it centers on Jesus Christ. So there's only one gospel. And that begins to do something that I think is desperately needed in our culture, in our souls, and in our churches. It's a desperate needing of narrowing of our focus. It's a need of, 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 of narrowing of our concentration, of eliminating some distractions, of eliminating some pursuits, of saying, hey, I'm going to unfollow some things for the sake of the one gospel. The third shocker is that Paul curses anyone who shares a distorted and contradictory gospel. And that's, that sounds harsh, right? 
That sounds heavy, sounds offensive, which speaks to the significance and the weightiness. And so we step back for just a second <clears throat> and we start to get that filter, that understanding that our follow, unfollow decisions, which are very important, very influential, should be determined by, shaped by, influenced by, aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the only thing. That's the only thing he gives us. That's the only thing that should determine what's the effect, what's the implication. And it, and it all comes down to the gospel of Christ. And, and, and before we kind of go deeper into that, I, I just want to ask th uh, us three questions for, for us to kind of resonate with this. All right. So the, the questions are, are this. Maybe we're all more susceptible than we realize to drifting, to moving away from, to getting caught up in things other than the one gospel or distortions of or things that are contrary to the one gospel. Maybe we're more susceptible than we realize. I, I think for a lot of us, and, and, I, and I put myself in that category of a lot of us, you know, our lives are, are so hurried or, or distracted or we've got so many things to do and we get in this rhythm of, I, I got to do this on Monday, this on Tuesday, this on Wednesday. Woo, thank God it's Friday. And then we rinse and repeat, right? And we just go in this cycle and over time, we don't realize that maybe we've drifted or maybe the weight, the significance, the truth of the one gospel has, has, is, carries less significance or less weight in our soul. We pick up a lot of things. A lot of things grab our attention. A lot of things captivate us. And, and before you know it, we're following many things at the expense of the one thing. And then we come, you know, and then we might come back to church after a while or open our Bible after it's been closed for a while. And it's almost like a breath of fresh air. And we just like, man, I've drifted from something. So maybe we're more susceptible than we realize. Second, second question I just want to throw out there. And again, we're going to answer these in the course of this whole series. Maybe we don't fully understand how good the one true gospel really is. I mean, gospel means good news. Maybe we don't realize how good the good news is. Maybe, 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 maybe there's a little bit of a religious spirit that kind of is like, oh, yeah, I, 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 I've prayed the prayer. Oh, yeah, I've been to church. Oh, yeah, I know about Jesus. Oh, pastor, you're not going to tell me anything new. And, and, and maybe we don't realize how good it is. And that Paul's like, man, I'm amazed you're pursuing something else. And it's, it's almost like, can you imagine? I don't know how many of you have ever been to like Ruth Chris Steakhouse, you know, when you can afford it or somebody else pays for it, right? I mean, those are good steaks. Maybe, you know, you, imagine you've got a Ruth Chris steak here and then a crystal burger three feet away. Now, I, I can do crystal, right? And then crystal does me, but I can do crystal, right? <clears throat> but can you imagine there's a Ruth Chris steak right here? Oh, I, and you just set that aside. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going for the crystal burger. And that's sort of, I mean, that's the best way I can think of Paul. It's like, I'm amazed. Maybe we don't realize how good the one true gospel really is. And then the third thing is maybe we should be more discerning and more vigilant against distortions and contradictions. Because, you know, if they're susceptible 20, 30 years after the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and we're here 2,000 plus years, goodness gracious, maybe we just need to be more discerning and more vigilant <coughs> to guard against what Paul is writing to this church group of Galatians about, the Galatian church is about. So, so just put those questions over our lives, and then let's go to the really central question, what is the gospel? 
I've said to our church at first Wednesdays and in, and in various emails and elder meetings here lately that I, I really believe what some one of the problems that has seeped into the, the Christian mindset in the West in America is that we've all just assumed we understand the gospel. We've all just assumed that, hey, Jesus died, Jesus, you know, Christmas and Easter, got it. Tell me something else. Help me with my marriage. Help me with my finances. Help me overcome an addiction. Got, got that Jesus died thing. Got that Easter Christmas thing. And we've just kind of moved on from the gospel. We've just sort of graduated from the gospel. But here's Paul saying something. Hey, we can't move on from it. We stay grounded in it. So, so let's really spend a few minutes together getting this question right in our minds and our hearts and our souls. And to do that, we're going to backtrack to the very first couple of verses where I think Paul outlines a great illustration, explanation of the gospel. He does it in multiple places in the New Testament. We'll stick with Galatians. Galatians 1.1, Paul says a couple of things. Paul, an apostle... That means an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man. So he's, he's an apostle, not because men made him an apostle, not because some committee got together and voted on him, he's, not because he sought a position. He's an apostle by a sovereign, gracious work of God upon his life. Now, we just need to understand this. Before God did this, his thing, Paul was killing Christians, trying to destroy the church and put as many Christians in the ground or in jail as possible. So Paul was a terrorist who became a follower, who became a proclaimer, who became an apostle. So Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So the Father raised the Son, Jesus, from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me. And this work of God created a community that we can now call the church. <clears throat> to the churches, this is what he speaks about, to these churches of Galatia, grace to you, something undeserved from God to you, which the gospel has purchased, and peace from God. So you now have a reconciled or restored relationship with God, the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, the gospel is a gift, who gave himself for our sins. We have a sin problem, not a they problem, not a those people problem. We have a sin problem to rescue us from this present evil age. What's wrong with today? It's evil. It was evil in the first century. It's evil in the 21st century. According to this this rescue plan, this giving of Jesus, this resurrection of Jesus is all according to the will of our God and Father or the purposes and plans of God. To Him, to God and God alone, be the glory, the weight, the praise, the doxology forever and ever. Amen. So be it. So, so we start to unfold and get an understanding of the gospel. A couple of things. The first and foremost is the gospel is God's will. It's God's doing. It's God's plan. And it's, it's not only his plan that he conceived in his mind, but it's his own unilateral action to carry out that plan. That God acted decisively in his heart, in his mind, and in history to do something. Send his son to die and be raised again to rescue us from sin, adopt us into our, his family. So the gospel is God's will. The gospel is also historical. It's a historical event. So 
<coughs> that's important because that enables you and I to say to people, the gospel is true and there is absolute truth. And we live in a culture, we live in an age where all that's in the question, well, you follow your God and you follow that God, but because the gospel is historical, only one God can say they've been raised from the dead. Where's Buddha? In the grave. Where's Muhammad? In the grave. Where's all the founders of all the great religions? In the grave. But one God rose from the dead. That's an absolute statement of truth, historically undeniable, which gives us confidence then to put our faith, not in a feeling, not in popular opinion, but put our faith in something God has done in history that has theological and eternal significance to our lives. The gospel is historical. The gospel is also doxological. That's a churchy word. It means basically it results in endless praise to God. We'll spend eternity in part praising God for what he's done. Now, we go from there and we recognize this. The gospel changes people. It rescues and delivers. It gives new purpose and ambition, and it creates a new community. It puts people together that previously wouldn't have come together, but they come together because of what Jesus has done. Paul is an illustration of that. What I, what I would say if I were speaking to an atheist or an agnostic or someone who was hesitant to put their faith and confidence in Jesus, I would say, how do you explain Paul? How does someone go from killing Christians to becoming one? To wanting more people to become one. So, so the gospel is all, of those, is all of those things. However, it's more. It's more. And, and that more is this. Five ways to understand the gospel. Let's, let's do this. The gospel is good news of a divine achievement. God has accomplished something in the gospel. He's found a way to satisfy his justice and righteousness and also demonstrate unconditional love. He's found a way to satisfy his own wrath and anger at our sin and reconcile sinners to himself. He's found a way to take traitors and rebels and people like me and you who have said, God, I'll do it my way, and adopt us into his family and put us and make us citizens of his kingdom. But the gospel is also a story of what God has done. So taken by itself, we need the, you know, the divine achievement needs a context. Like if I showed you a picture up here of, let's just say, take this, the Marines at Iwo Jima raising that flag, right? And we saw that picture, we might say, oh, that's interesting. That's an achievement. They conquered or they overtook an island. But when we understand the whole story of, of Pearl Harbor and the World War II and Japan and the island campaign of the Marines and the Battle of the Pacific, the wars, the battles and all that in the Pacific, that achievement takes on even greater significance. And so the gospel is a story or part of a story of what God has done. <clears throat> and to understand that story, the story answers four great questions that every human being that's ever lived walk, uh, asks. Who am I? What's wrong? Why am I here? And what can be done? I, I, there's no other worldview that answers those questions sufficiently or satisfactorily or with logical coherence. Who am I? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? Why am I here? And what can be done? There, there's, you will bump into people all the time, and you and I all the time will, will get tripped up on these questions. Who am I? Well, I, am I what they said about me? 
Who am I? Am I what I did? What's wrong? Why do bad things happen? Why hasn't God? Why won't God? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Who doesn't ask those questions? What can be done to fix what's wrong or to restore what's wrong? All of those get climactically answered in this gospel message. <clears throat> and it's really a climactic moment in a four-part story. Creation, who we are, how we got here. The fall of man, what's gone wrong. Why, why, why do we have, not only do we have evil in the world, why do we have evil in us? Well, why does our biology at some point turn against us? All of that comes here. Redemption. God has acted and will act to redeem all of this and then restore everything back to perfection in the nth degree forever and ever. And so all of that <coughs> is part of this climactic story that we have in the gospel. Not only that, though, the gospel warrants a response. The gospel contains an offer. Will you follow? Will you trust? Will you surrender? The gospel contains an offer. And, and, and really, once a person has heard the gospel, there's no neutrality. I, the gospel clearly presents Jesus as Savior, clearly presents Jesus as Lord. So, so it's real easy. Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? It's real easy. It, it invites a response. And then number four, the end goal, the chief aim, and the ultimate reward of the gospel is God himself. That's a powerful statement, that the end goal, the reward of the gospel is God himself. Look how Paul phrases it. He goes, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. So he says turning to a different gospel is equivalent of turning away from the God of the true gospel. Not that there's another gospel. So it's important and significant to see that the ultimate reward of the gospel is God himself. Many of us have been sold an incomplete story or an incomplete gospel. We've been sold that the goal of the gospel is forgiveness of sins. We've been told that the goal of gospel is that you escape hell. We've been told that the goal of the gospel is you get to go to heaven. And when you get to go to heaven, the greatest thing about heaven is, man, it's, it's just better than earth. And man, you'll be reunited with loved ones. Here's the question Jonathan Edwards asks. If Jesus weren't in heaven, would you still want to go? Because the reward of the gospel is you get God. Peace with God, identity from God, union with God. Yeah, we get rid of the, the, the forgiveness part just deals with the obstacle that keeps us from accessing God in all of his grace and all of his glory and all of his infinite majesty and, and eternal mercy. So the ultimate reward of the gospel is God himself. And then the final thing, and this is why we can never graduate from the gospel because graduating from the gospel is moving away from the God of the gospel. And all of that's in play in Galatia. And all of that's in play <coughs> in our own minds, in our own hearts, and our own souls. So if I were to say, what is a false gospel? A false gospel is anything that diminishes what God has done. Anything that diminishes what God has done. And anything that puts people over God. 
Hold those thoughts. So I am pursuing a false gospel when I, or I am enticed by, deceived by a false gospel on anything that diminishes what God has done. I am following a false or distorted gospel if it's anything that puts people over God. And see, I would submit the reason there are books and passages of the Bible about this, that the greatest danger to your soul, my soul, the church, is not who the president is. It's not the rise of secularism and postmodernism. It's not Darwinism. It's a counterfeit gospel. A counterfeit gospel that looks close enough to the real thing that it entices Christians to turn away from the real thing. And I think that's what's gone on and is going on in the church, in the West, in America, that we've pursued a counterfeit. You know, counterfeits look like the real thing. When I was in youth group, when I was growing up, I never forget this speaker said something. Here's what, he said, here's what Satan will do. He'll take a clock and he'll make it ten, five to ten minutes wrong because you may not notice five to ten minutes. If he made it you know, three hours wrong, oh, there's no way it's ten o'clock. But you're still late and you still miss God's best. Counterfeit gospel. So if I were to speak <coughs> and talk about four counterfeit gospels that threaten the church, that threaten us in our day and time, I would give you these four. The first one is a moralistic or a good person gospel. A moralistic or a good person gospel is, leaves you and I in control because, hey, if we're a good person or at least better than those people, then we're okay, right? A good person gospel leaves you and I very susceptible to being stuck, though, in guilt or shame. Because what if we recognize, man, I'm not good, or I'm not good enough, or I'm guilty or ashamed about what I've done, then we're stuck. So it leads to either extreme self-righteousness or extreme, extreme delusion, uh, disillusionment and, and discouragement. And, and the problem with any counterfeit gospel is it takes God from the center of the gospel and puts something else in the center of the gospel. So what Jesus has done is no longer the center of this false gospel, but what you and I do is the center of the gospel, right? Second one is there's a political gospel that's rampant in the evangelical in the church today, rampant. A political gospel is not that there's not that we should not be disen, not that we should disengage, not that we shouldn't vote our Christian conscience, not that it's but it's that functionally the church and Christians come to believe that hope rests in the political power center of temporary governments of temporary nations, that we become more concerned with political outcomes than eternal outcomes, that we're more concerned with the out with the direction of a temporary nation than the eternal kingdom of Jesus. And we put energy in that, even though the gospel teaches me this, my future, the church's future is secure no matter who sits in the White House, right? The king, and what happens is this, the king of kings, Jesus, is no longer the center. 
But whoever holds political power or whoever's vying or competing for that political power is now the center. Puts people over Jesus. The third counterfeit gospel operating in our country today is a prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel is this, and it's subtle, that Jesus is a means to an end. I am more interested in what Jesus can do for me than what he has done for me, and I am not pursuing Jesus as the goal of the gospel, the end of the gospel, the outcome of the gospel. God will keep me or make me healthy. God will make me prosperous. God does not will anybody to suffer. Nobody should get sick if they just had enough faith. That is a counterfeit, false gospel. It's a prosperity gospel, but it sounds good, right? Because it puts our desire to live successful, prosperous lives, however our culture defines it, it puts that in the center, does it not? Instead of a crucified, suffering servant in the center, which is Jesus Christ, who said, hey, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. It teaches us that the best life we have is available to us now. It says, hey, let's go ahead and put our hope in possessions that we can't take with us and that are susceptible to destruction or loss or futility. It puts not God's glory in the center, but our desire for our own status in the center. And then the fourth false gospel is a self-help gospel. (coughs) This is God's here to help. He'll help you chase your dreams. He'll help you get get better at, become better, and and, and it puts you and me in the center. Sermons that are coming out of a self-help gospel are motivational. Sermons that are coming out of a self-help gospel are inspirational, but they're not an expositional sermon of God's word, God's truth. Jesus is rarely mentioned in those kind of messages. You and I are mentioned a lot. What God might do for us is mentioned a lot. If we only. So it's a self-help gospel, self-improvement gospel. You and I are at the center. I'll give you examples of statements that illustrate some of these four gospels. Now, these statements I'm going to make to you, you've made them, I've made them. But it's what's behind them and the subtlety of them that we have to start recognizing as something we might need to unfollow. Here's a couple of them. If it's to be, it's up to me. If it's to be, it's up to me. I'm my own God. I'm the determiner of my future. If it's to be, it's up to me. If I went to church right now, the building would fall down. That's a moralistic gospel that rests in what I do or have done more than what Jesus has done. I I, I think parents, we've all said this, I just want them to be happy. How many of, but you know, we're dumb about what makes us happy. We've done things that made us happy for a moment or a season and then made us miserable for a lifetime. We don't know what makes us happy forever. Only God does. I I just want to feel better about myself. It's the self-esteem gospel. Like our biggest problem is we just don't have uh, enough confidence in ourselves. Here's one. We need to take our country back. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it could be a political gospel. Because we've been called to go bear witness to the nations of the world and advance the kingdom of Jesus. Here's another one. Just follow your heart. The one true gospel says the problem is in my heart. Here's another one. Man, preachers make a lot of money on this one. You can have your best life now. I won't lie to you. 
Your best life is to come when Jesus comes and makes it all right again. The greatest problem is out there, not in here. And Hey, you just got to believe. Just be sincere. Just believe. Believe what? Believe what? You can do it, and God can help. When I opened the gospel, I was like, I can't save myself. When I see Jesus speaking, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's a subtle one. True, but I just need to read the Bible more. Maybe that's true. What are you reading the Bible for? So you can put God in your debt? Are you reading the Bible to get, you know, hey, maybe, 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 God, maybe, God, maybe, maybe God's going to help me with this. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And you put yourself subtly at the center. I, you just have to unpack that. See where it's so subtle, these counterfeits? So let me, let me just talk about our church for a minute. <clears throat> We're about to turn 20 years old. And through a long process that started back in the late spring and the summer, staff, elders, we've been praying, we've been talking, and we really believe that God wants to come into, wants us to really focus on the idea of what does it mean to be centered on, organized around, driven by the one true gospel. And, and so we're just going to humbly look at our lives, look at the life of our church, look at all of our ministry expressions to make sure that the gospel is what we're organized around its principles, that we're driven by the gospel's power and that we're living for gospel purposes, period. And, and we'll begin with preaching and worship. We'll look at how our, our discipleship membership path, and we want it all to be this. We want it all to be this. Because it's very subtle, is it not? That if a church is not driven by the gospel and its principles, power, and purposes, then what are we driven by? Our own power or our own preferences. Most of us walk in to a church service and we're hoping that they picked a song that I like. What if we picked a song that was centered on the gospel? And an or a worship service that was designed solely around making sure we go deeper into the gospel. We respond to the God of the gospel. It's caused me to look hard and deep at historically how I've shared God's word. Because suddenly, suddenly we can tweak it and make the power come not from what God has done, but what we ought to do. And that's the distortion of the gospel. But here's what I know. And here's what I'm praying over all of you, myself, my, our souls, our church in general. Can you imagine the freedom, the unity, and the integrity if all of us who claim Christ as Lord and claim Rockbridge as church home, if we were unified around the desire to stay true to the one true gospel. Can you imagine if that's the unit? That's, that's, we're following that. Anything else is, just, you know, it's is, got to be discerned and is an un, is, it goes in the category we may have to unfollow. <clears throat> because it's the organizing principle. It's the power of God, and it's God's very purposes. Paul closes this whole little conversation with the church in Galatia with an illustration of what it looks like to be driven by the gospel. 
And, and what he says in verse 10 is a picture of freedom and joy. Listen to what he says. He says, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So all the competing interests, all the distractions, Paul's like, look, I'm not trying to please you. I'm not trying to live up to your expectations. I'm not walking out of here worried what do they think about me, who's following me. I live for the audience of one. And I live by the power and the grace that he has given me. Can you imagine the freedom he has? I mean, I go to bed at night, man, I hope these people aren't upset with me. Man, what do they think of me? I, 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 <coughs> I go to bed and I mean, how was my day? Did I get enough done? What if our day was just all driven by, man, what Christ has done and who that makes us? What, what if we weren't just so easily enticed by these distortions, the pressure, the, the, the disillusionment that comes when bad things happen? What if we understood, hey, we're still in that four-act story and everything hasn't been restored and God's got a plan and he's working it out and I can trust him because of what he did for me. It just revolutionizes everything. But we have to be willing to put him at the center and everything else orbits, revolves around him. That's the power of the gospel. That's where the grace and the glory that goes to God comes from as we put him, keep him in the center. So imagine your life. Imagine your life organized solely around gospel principles, driven by power of the gospel and living for the purposes of the gospel. That is where our freedom, our joy, and our hope come from. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your words to us. God, I, I pray that if there's anyone here, that today needs to be their day to take the offer of the gospel and to give you their sins and the steering wheel of their lives, that by your spirit, they say yes. They say yes. God, I pray that all of us would have great appreciation for your grace and glory that come to us from the gospel and that we would be willing, God, to unfollow any distortion or deception that is coming at us right now and take it captive and make it obedient to Christ and his gospel. So, God, for the person stressed that what they've done makes them feel shamed and guilty, May they put that on the cross. God, for the person who thinks they are what people say about them, may they recognize you have spoken over them words of love, hope, truth, and you want to call them a son or daughter and have them rest in that identity forever. God, for the person who's struggling with depression or that they got bad news today, May they see that as part of the four-part story, God. And may their hope be in the future grace to come when you come back to establish your kingdom, God, and you put everything right forever and ever. So, God, for all of those things and the thousands upon thousands of other graces 
and blessings and favor from you that flow because of the gospel of what Jesus has done. We thank you. We praise you. We give glory to you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.